We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. And if you don't like it, lump it. The problem with America is not that we go around marauding around the world imposing ourselves. The problem with America in the last 10, 15 years since the end of the Cold War, really in the last 60 years, is that we've been too slow to get involved. I don't know how many Iraqi civilians were killed, but I can assure you that the number is the absolute minimal that it's possible uh, in modern warfare. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. You know, that land over there is yours. You'll go back to it one day because your fight will prevail and you'll have your homes and your mosques back again because your cause is right and God is on your side. Welcome to the darkened hour. Hello, my name is Wayne Costi. I've been involved with the 9-11 Truth Movement since about 2009. 2007 is when I first became aware that there was a, an issue. When I first saw the events of 9-11 unfolding, uh, and I was able to watch it live on television like many other people. And when the Twin Towers were destroyed uh, in front of my eyes, uh, the top of the South Tower began to lean towards me. I said, oh my God, we're gonna have an 80-story building. How can this happen? Uh, uh, and then it unzipped all the way down to the bottom. And I said, I'm going to have to have someone explain this to me sometime down the road. And I had a, and um, then of course the other events unfolded along the, the time and the Pentagon had been hit. There was a plane crash. And so there's a lot of, a lot of questions I had about what actually happened. Uh, and I lived very uncomfortably, I would say with the official story uh, being told to me that the buildings collapsed due to fire, uh, that the plane had uh, hit at the Pentagon, and that all these things were all part of this this terrible terrorist act. And uh, I got involved in the kind of opposing the 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 um, the Iraq War, the march to war. I thought was was ill um, ill thought out, and it was clear that we were being uh, Project, uh, projected into a, into a conflict that we didn't have any real basis for. And there was a lot of arguments uh, against it. But I lived with all of this up until about 2007 when I first saw a video by Richard Gage uh, that described the, the Twin Towers. And I got intrigued and I spent the next 18 months going through all the arguments for and against and got on blogs and began interacting with people who both were uh, sure that there was some form of controlled demolition and those that were absolutely opposed. And through that process, I got involved with many people and it turned out that the, that the many of these people uh, would make arguments. And then if you actually looked at them and actually looked at it correctly, you'd see that no, they said that, oh, no, this is all fires and all that stuff that's destroying it. Um, you can actually see that that can't be what's going on in the, in the, in the evidence. So what I had done was kind of set the stage for being able to 
be a little bit inquisitive in, in recognizing that there's a lot of people out there that don't really have a good grasp on what's, what, what was happening. And then I got involved with architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth as a, um, as a volunteer congressional outreach coordinator. I got involved in a number of other aspects related to that organization as a volunteer. And I actually became a board member of Architects and Engineer for about a year from 2013 to 2014. About the time I left, I was working on a couple of papers, one of which was presented at an IEEE Institute for Electrical and Electronic Engineers uh, conference on science and technology, in which I, along with, with uh, Michael S Smith and John Wyndham, presented the a critique of the NIST analysis at this conference. It was a major international conference and uh, it was an accepted paper and uh, it was uh, well received, I think. We also had a, a poster session where we got to talk to a lot of people. A few years later after that, I got involved with another paper presentation um, with STEFI, which is a European organization Society for Engineering Education uh, had a paper presented or uh, accepted, peer-reviewed, accepted, and when I got to Orleans in France where this was going to be held, I was uh, refused entry to the conference, and when I actually did show up, I uh, was escorted out. Uh, so, and it was basically a critique of the Zedek Bazant uh, paper uh, that describes how the towers fell. Now this is all about the, the, twin, the twin towers. Uh, about that time I, I left architects and engineers so I could focus in on some of the remaining issues related to 9-11. And those issues were, were um, the ones that I was interested in were the Pentagon and Shanksville. And to this day, I really don't have an opinion of what happened at Shanksville. Uh, it's, it's just one of those issues I haven't uh, attempted to delve into and unravel. The Pentagon caught my attention. I was involved in the about 2011 with architects and engineers and Barbara Honiger uh, had sent out an email through the relationships they had uh, saying that I should that uh, if anyone was in the area they should go to support Bill Veal who was going to be going into the Second Circuit Court in New Haven, Connecticut in order to present uh, the April Gallup case in front of um, some judges. And so I took, a, I took the day off from work and went down there. And it was one of my first uh, foy, um, forays into the, the Pentagon issues. And I saw Bill Veal uh, get up in front of the, the, the judges. And I was shocked at just how little he seemed to have and how he couldn't answer a very simple question like, uh, what has caused April Gallops to change her opinion because in, she has previously filed um, sworn statements that support a large plane, um, the Flight 77. And he actually looked like he'd been sucker punched in the stomach. He just doubled over with that question. And um, I, couldn't, I was just floored that he didn't have a good answer. So this is just one of my, one of my early um, forays, like I said. And then about 2013, uh, with the help of some of the local 9-11 
organizers here, we helped put on a major conference in, in Washington, D.C., Advancing the Truth, I think it was called, it was September 2013. We had a, we were at the Sheraton Hotel overlooking the Pentagon. And Barbara Honiger got to present her evidence, and I was just so um, admiring of the materials that she put together. Uh, it was stuff that I was it was all new to me, and so I really kind of latched onto what she was what she was saying, and I even helped her um, get behind the smoke curtain up on Amazon so that uh, she could distribute them through that venue, and so that was uh, done within the next year. I was one of those people who thought that a missile had done the damage to the Pentagon. And I was supportive of, I, you know, there's a lot of things about Barbara's presentation that just didn't quite sound right, but it, she had obviously spent a lot of time and I was really impressed with, with that. And I was, and I was, I was learning. And then as I uh, began to form a, uh, another group called uh, Truth Outreach, which later became the 9-11 Truth Action Project, I wanted to put it together, I had been invited to put together a video series uh, talking about 9-11. I was going to do the Twin Towers, I was going to do Building 7, I was going to do Anthrax, and I was going to do a Pentagon. And the Pentagon one was going to be an interesting one because I didn't know what happened. And I was going to uh, put it in the context of there's multiple theories about what happened. Uh, there's a missile, there's a global hawk, there's an exploding drone within, with explosives, there's a flyover. And believe it or not, there's some people that actually say a real plane hit the Pentagon. Uh, and, and I was going to be dismissive of that. That was the plan. That was how I had envisioned that playing out. Um, uh, these, this series never happened because of my uh, cable access partner uh, wasn't able to um, continue for personal reasons. But in, as I'm developing and expecting that we're going to be doing it uh, next month or something like that, I began digging into what actually happened at the Pentagon. Uh, and like I said, I was, my goal was to basically ridicule a large plane impact. Because no one I knew at the time believed in it. Uh, there were some people that I had heard, but um, whenever they would say anything, I would, my head would go tilt because it was so out from all the videos that I had seen. I had seen loose change. I'd seen in plain sight. I've seen, I'd seen the um, stubble line comments. I've seen so many uh, videos that they didn't agree on it much of anything except there was no large plane. And so I was in that camp. As I'm digging through the materials, what, I'm, what I find out is that uh, there's a lot of things that people say that just doesn't, they don't look quite right. Um, and I keep going reviewing the same stuff over and over because I've, I now have to put together a presentation in which it's going to be my words actually telling the story, explaining the evidence, the shortcomings of the large plane impact, the, the, the evidence for the missile, the, the flyover, the, whatever it was. And so I began to, going through this entire process. And lo and behold, about the fifth time I go through uh, Jim Hoffman's site, I, I notice 
I think it was his site, I noticed there's a dimension and the dimension shows that there's a 40, if you, if you were to look at the, the path between the, where the right engine would have gone through the diesel generator trailer and where the retaining wall was, was uh, gouged out, the difference in those paths is 42 feet. And those 42 feet is the distance between the engines. And I said, this just is just too weird. How can this fake plane, have, how could they fake this and put the, the gouges at the right distance? And then I began to be less dismissive about the evidence that I was looking at and began looking in, at many other aspects and um, it really bothered me that I just couldn't answer is how could this plane break through nine feet of steel reinforced concrete to create the searing exit hole? Because this is what some of my videos had told me um, in plain sight. Said that plane had to break through the first, the blast resistant wall, had to go out of the, the next wall into the next ring, into the D ring, out of the D ring, smashing through that, into the C ring, smashing into that, and then finally smashing out through the, the uh, C ring exit hole. And it's just, it's just too much to even believe. It turns out, that there is no, there are no inter, intervening walls between the outer E ring and the inner, and the, um, the the C ring exit hole. There's only the the outer wall and the, the inner wall. Everything else is just columns. There, the the well-known Pentagon rings are are only for the third, fourth, and fifth floors. The first two floors are open all the way from that area, and the only steel reinforced concrete is rebar holding the 1942 era columns, uh, in which many of those were knocked down, severed in the middle, uh, they're, they're hanging. So there was so much misinformation about the construction of the building, and it's actually kind of, funny if you actually want to use that word. Um, many people would use the the Purdue simulation of the plane hitting and what it shows is it comes in one side and kind of gets gets destroyed as it's going through. But that is not the E-ring that the, this is all happening in. This is the E, D, and C-rings. It's the entire uh, couple of hundred feet. Um, so it was uh, even the videos that they would show, uh, you, the, the stuff that they would use in their evidence, really showed that there was an open space and there was not, no intervening walls. So there's all this, there's all these um, things that are that are that were ongoing as to uh, how I became more and more aware of the actual construction of the the Pentagon, how it was built, and ultimately how it was destroyed. And I spent a lot of time going back and forth with people who had construction experience and they talked about how hard it was to break up concrete and that the plane couldn't have done it. But when you find out that the, the outer E-ring wall was not built with steel reinforced concrete like a bunker, it was, it was just the limestone on the outside 
some window frames uh, with uh, some infill brick. And then the, they, to reinforce them, they put in inch and a half thick windows and a whole framework of assembly, which was just uh, six inch tubes uh, of one inch inch steel, whose sole purpose was to hold the blast resistant window in place. And then all this was just bolted together. So that's all there was in the outer uh, E-ring was the limestone, the bricks, and this window frame that's held in place with some modest steel, whose job was to protect the occupants of the building from an external blast by making sure that the glass from the windows doesn't turn into uh, shrapnel effectively and killing the people inside. So that was, that's, was the purpose of the blast resistant windows. A lot of this was because of the COBAR, a lot of the, the people that were killed apparently in the COBAR, the COBAR um, towers uh, bombing were killed by this kind of shrapnel and that was kind of the, the basis for the design of the blast resistant windows uh, and, and some of the other enhancements. But it was mostly this light steel framework. The only thing that's holding this framework in place are about one bolt, one uh, three quarter inch bolt every foot. And that's, that's, uh, that's all it is. And, that's, and then there's bolts. And we all know that um, bolts can be, uh, they have ratings and that uh, they can be exceeded. And when they exceed, the, the bolts can break, the nuts will strip, things, will th things like that will, uh, can happen. And that's apparently what, what did. So uh, as I'm going through this review of what the building was like, um, having to rethink my understanding of how the building was built, I came to, to, to understand a whole lot more. First of all, I had been of the opinion from my the videos that there was an only an 18 foot opening in the second in the second floor, and that's where the plane went in. Uh, come to find out, there was actually actually a, a about a hundred foot opening in the facade on the first floor, and there was 90 feet of continuous severed, missing, or damaged columns uh, that were no longer uh, in place, and they were they would have been knocked down by this incoming plane. So I'm learning, as I'm going through this, I'm learning all these different facts that the, that the size of the opening was, was, has always been misrepresented, uh, that, the, that the, uh, there was no intervening concrete. The C-ring exit hole, it turns out, is just uh, an unreinforced wall that uh, had uh, about 20 feet wide, uh, 12 feet high, two bricks thick with no reinforcing in it. No, or nothing significant anyways. Uh, and that's all that got knocked down. So this is, so, so much of what I had, had learned about the Pentagon turns out to be uh, incorrect. So that leaves us with uh, some other things that uh, spent, I spent a lot of time uh, looking at. Um, I had also become, after the 2013 conference in Washington, I had uh, been made aware of the CIT videos. Uh, I had watched them. I'd watched all of them. I was, I said, well, you know, how could, how could uh, this 
taxicab been been hit, what could have done the damage. Everyone that I knew said it was caused by this big massive light pole that didn't make any sense. But then they said that the big massive light pole hitting couldn't couldn't have happened because there's no scratches. So the story that was made up didn't didn't fit. And so there's all this in all this misinformation that I uh, had absorbed, uh, adopted, and then I when I'm trying to explain it, this doesn't make any sense at all. Eventually, uh, this, eventually, I was was looking at all these all these pieces. In about uh, the fall of 2015, um, the the blog called Truth and Shadows posted an article that was very critical of David Chandler for having gone through some evidence at the Oakland Film Festival that would had been held that year. And I took such great offense at the um, character assassination aspect of this. Uh, there was no room in the article for any doubts. Uh, and yet I was filled with many doubts and I was quite sympathetic to the, the observations that David Chandler had put, put together. And so I, ch I challenged uh, the author to, uh, to a series of debates because we, we were on a 9-11 um, monthly conference call that had been uh, ongoing for many years. And he, he declined, but Barbara Honiger agreed to uh, debate me. Um, and so we, we had a formal debate, um, a certain amount of time to make position and rebuttals. And it turned out we were always just talking past each other. Uh, I had a debate with, um, with Barbara, had another one with uh, uh, Craig McKee, and I think it was Adam Ruff. Um, and and so there was there's a, a the series of debates um, that that we that we had, and I was always trying to present the physical evidence, and they were there was more not advocating what they th thought happened, but just showing how a large plane impact couldn't couldn't have happened because and it would be a character assassination of of the witnesses, it would be. Um, many other things that they would stay. And, and so this got me onto quite the, uh, quite the quest to figure out more and more details of what happened. And as I would come across specific things, I would actually on this monthly conference call put together a series of slides and go over them. I was given 15, 15 or 20 minutes uh, every couple of months to be able to do that. I did one on a shadow that was seen in the Citgo security camera. So let me just uh, talk about the security cameras a little bit. The security cameras that, that were around the Pentagon, there are four of them that have some information related to what actually happened at the, during the impact. There's uh, two at the security parking, there's a security gate at the at a parking lot, parking gate um, that captures the plane flying across the lawn. There's two of them, and they're actually really it's really fascinating what you can do if you actually look at what's in those videos or those series of stills. There's a Citgo uh, gas station, and there's a security camera, and that one was was released. 
uh, in it, you can see um, Officer Lagasse um, fueling up his car. He leaves suddenly. Um, and just before he leaves suddenly, uh, he backs out and drives away really quick. Um, there is on the other side, the south side, a, um, a blink of something uh, that looks like a shadow. And this was observed in 2008, 2009, and it seemed to have disappeared because no one else, uh, I just happened to stumble across this, this, these conversations in an obscure, in an obscure blog. Then the, the other, the last uh, video that has uh, any relevance was the, the Doubletree Hotel. Uh, it doesn't show a plane coming in. It's, it's, uh, that would have been too low. There's a highway, uh, so you can only see over the highway. You can see the, the top of the Pentagon, but you can't see anything else. But what you can see is the, the fireball evolving. And you can also see that there's no plane flying over. Um, that's within visible, visible, visual range. So there's um, there, so the, there, there are these four cameras. And so I wrote an article about these, the camera and how it captured a shadow south of the Sitco station, which is in line with the official plane path and not in line with the north of Sitco path that has been advocated by the citizens investigation team. Um, and had a lot of pushback when I presented that, uh, that analysis. Um, and then I moved on to, ta uh, I, I don't recall all the ones, all the presentations that we made, I made, but I would make one on the size of the hole, um, how it wasn't an 18 foot hole, how it was a hundred feet wide, 90 feet continuous opening. Yes, there were a couple of columns that were hanging down, that, that were bent and, and leaning in, um, but they were severed at the bottom. You could tell because the angle that they're at, uh, if they were still intact, they'd be vertical like the other ones that you'd seen, but the, these were actually hanging. So with these, with, with these severed columns, with the opening on the first floor, we, we had a 90, 90 feet of continuous opening. We found, um, with the engines being 42 feet apart, what you would then say is that there's plenty of room for most of the mass of the plane to have entered there uh, and entered the first floor um, and been high enough to have done some damage uh, at the place where the other two window missing window frames were, and that's the 18-foot hole on the second floor. So everything kind of kind of aligned to, yes, it is not. You can't rule out a large plane impact because there's plenty of room. You don't have anything for the wingtips. There are there are, for example, um, many people who think that there's an 18-foot opening, and that's all there is. And if that is the only damage that was there and the plane hit it, you would certainly want expect to see that there'd be wings on the outside because it's only an 18 foot hole. But in fact, that 18 foot hole is only right about where the top of the fuselage would have hit and below it is, is this 100 foot opening. So I did a, a presentation on that. Again, got pushed back on, on it because the, it's not, it's not as wide as I say it is because these 
some of these columns are hanging in. So uh, then I do um, some other research, and one of the things I find, uh, and I did a presentation on it, is there used to be a tree in front of column 16 that all that's left of it, and only one person I'd ever seen um, reference it, this, this tree that had been in front of column 16 was just the stump. Um, and I, I didn't know whatever happened to the rest of the tree. Um, and as I began digging in, one of, the, one of the oddities of the damage was that there was some tree branches on the north side of the, the impact on the left and couldn't figure out where they were. But as, as I was able to keep digging through more and more photos, I could find the better and better quality. I tell you, there's a lot of really grainy, terrible photos out in the 9-11 uh, websites related to the Pentagon. Um, but you can, but I found many of them that were good and good and high quality, um, or at least high enough quality so you can see enough details. And what I actually found was the top of the, the tree that had been in front of column 16 had been knocked, um, had been knocked to the left. Uh, that's the direction that the plane was coming, was coming in from the right, hit the tree, severed it, imparted momentum and then it would have uh, the base would have been it would have carried um, probably through part of the plane ripping off uh, some of the overhead luggage racks and some of the larger pieces of the the fuselage that were seen on the lawn and the the trunk is uh, is a hundred feet further to the north to the left um, and so I was able to then take a look at that. I could see that the things that were burning in the Will Morris photo of the north end, looking at the, looking at all the damage there, I could see that the stuff that was burning was that I couldn't identify. I said, "What is this?" Um, that's actually the all connected to this tree that had been in front of column 16, but it had been severed by something. And and I challenged someone. I presented this to the this 9-11 monthly conference group, I said, well, what else could have caused this? Of course, there's no, no good answers. You can't, you can't have done this with explosives. Uh, the only thing that seems to fit is a large plane impact. And so as I'm doing this, I'm getting more and more convinced because even so, even at this point, I'm still waffling. You know, um, I'm just saying that you can't rule out a large plane uh, impact. And then Oh, then I did, a, I, I was able to keep digging through and I actually found out how the, the outer earring was actually built. And it was not this steel reinforced concrete because I kept looking and I actually went through the Pentagon and renovation materials and found a, a lot of disparate pieces of information that showed just how it was built or, or rebuilt. The original, out, the original limestone wall was left intact the um, the infill brick was left intact. They pulled out the old wooden windows, and in its place they put these other window frames that jutted out through the opening, and were held by in in place by these steel supports, whose job was to hold the window up, not to be part of the structure. It was they were just the large window frames uh, supports, um, and and then. I also noticed that if you took a look at the collapsed wall the, after the after the um, E ring collapsed, 
a portion of it collapsed, just a jumble of stuff. And I said, I really wish you could, you could make sense of it. Well, now that I knew what, how it was built, I could identify the different parts that were displayed in this jumble of junk. You could see the bolts that were the through bolts that had gone through the concrete. Some of them were, um, were still held in place because this is, this had, this one all the way up through the uh, third, fourth, fifth uh, floors. So they weren't hit by the plane. They were just part of the wall that when it crumbled, it came apart. Um, some of the things were connected and some parts broken. You can actually see all these different pieces in the jumble of mess in this, in this broken wall. Um, and then I, then I took a look at the um, C-ring exit hole. As, as I, I've mentioned this, the C-ring exit hole a number of times. It, most people uh, in the 9-11 Truth Movement have always said that uh, the only thing that could have caused this was shape charges, and they're absolutely certain. Um, and there was also um, an analysis that had been done saying that there, if the plane was coming in from the E-ring at the import, impact point uh, at column 14, there was no way to get through all the columns to have a straight line. And even, even the best uh, uh, analysis that people had were, were saying um, uh, that the debris came in like a slurry and went around the columns and it, it didn't make any sense to me. And, but if in fact the columns were as, 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 as large and there was no straight way path through, I, I'd have a real hard time coming up with anything that could have impacted the, the C-ring wall and knocked it out. Because it wasn't a really pretty, it wasn't a very robust wall. It was just a large wall with a big opening. And so what, uh, what I, um, I did, I woke up one morning and said, well, let me go see how big these things, these are. And when I, when I um, and tried to draw it to scale because I, the ASCE report had had them, and that's what most people use for reference. But it turns out that the ASCE report, the purpose of that was the they drew the columns larger so they could color code them, and you could see what they what the damage was. You know, the red was uh, missing, yellow was impaired, um, and and I, they had various color codes as to the amount of damage. So they were actually drawn large, and and they were in fact not 22 inch square columns. If you looked at it to the scale, but they were more like 60 inch columns. I mean, that's like you know five foot square. You know, that's a lot of floor space. Um, and if you actually, so then I went out. I began a quest to how do I, without having the exact location of where everything is. Um, how can I go through this process and identify if there are any paths through the columns? Um, and so I drew everything to scale, you know, as meticulous as I could. Um, and what I found was that there were actually three paths that were able to go through. They were about two and a half uh, feet, uh, 2.1 feet, and one and a half feet. Um, from the E-ring uh, uh, entrance point, to the C-ring exit hole. So there was at least a two foot wide opening through all the columns that would be unimpeded by anything except desk, drywall, and other minor um, materials. And if you had some, um, some mass with a large velocity, um, it could just continue right through. 
And so I took this material and I presented it to the, the group uh, again. And uh, again, got a lot of pushback, um, uh, mostly silence, but uh, those who did speak up did give me a lot of pushback on this. Um, and so there's a, um, a number of things that, that I would present. Um, the next one I tried to, to do was uh, align the impact path uh, and I, and the impact path would have uh, included the the, the light poles. Um, I had um, uh, the diesel generator trailer, the tree at column 16, and the damage that was done to the the Pentagon building itself. One of the things that I noticed or found is that on the left-hand side, there's a curious column. It's the last intact, kind of intact column. It's called column 9AA. AA is the, the very outer uh, wall at that section of the Pentagon that, hold, that juts out. Uh, and so it's column 9AA. And it is not just, it, it's not just, um, it's not severed and it's not intact, but it's bowed. It's connected to the top at the bottom and it's bowed bowed um, inward as if it was strong enough to resist an impacting mass okay and then on the right hand side uh, there are th I found th the the three columns columns 18 at the second floor slab was not just crushed in bashed in it was bashed in and pushed to the right interesting I'll, I'll get to that the next one column 19, the next one, is uh, about 18 inches or two feet above, is actually severed uh, and it's bashed in. Not severed, it's not It's not severed, it's bashed in. And you can see that the, the column's been crushed in. Uh, the, the rebar has been, you know, obviously about an angle of 45 degrees. Um, and then in a kind of a straight line, like where the wing would have been, on the next column, column 20, the limestone has been been knocked off, and on column 20, there's no damage at all, uh, suggesting that the wing did not um, extend as far as the the column 21. Um, but everything else is kind of lined up. And if you th then if you were to take the projection of the the, the plane, kind of stretch it out to to account for the for the angle, you were then able to. Um, align the damage on the right-hand side, the severed tree stump, and the bent and bowed column 9A on the left side, and everything kind of lines up. And, you know, again, this is one of those points where how can you, how can you uh, do this with explosives? Um, anything, um, any, any other mechanism to do this, because whatever mechanism was used happened very quickly. Um, but it fits the profile of, of a large plane. So I, so I presented this and it seemed, um, it seemed like, you know, it's, it's basically airtight and it's irrefutable that the, that the impacting uh, object was a, a large plane. And because of the gouges in the retaining wall and the diesel generator trailer with the engines being 42 feet apart, The only thing that could have done this would have been a a low flying 757 that impacted the impacted the uh, the Pentagon. Now, 
There's one other presentation that I made. Uh, as I mentioned that there was a, um, I, was, I was enthralled with the CIT investigation and especially the Lloyd England story. Um, but I found a curious picture that I was able to try to figure out, I finally figured out what it was that I was looking at. Um, so let me just describe the scene. There's a, there is before the plane crosses over Washington Boulevard on its way to the Pentagon, which is just a few hundred feet away, uh, 800 feet away or something like that. Uh, as it's uh, as it's approaching, what I what you uh, see is um, the couple light poles um, that was hit by the right wing. Um, there is a left light pole, light pole number two, that is not severed uh, like light pole number one is. It's actually broken up into three pieces. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, the light pole number two is is bent. Um, and then uh, as you're approaching the, the Pentagon, there's uh, three other light poles. They're not part of this conversation right now. Um, but these parts, when these uh, poles were hit, parts went flying uh, and, and, and there was the arms, there's the lamp, there's the, the mast itself. And uh, the mass is what was not bent, was bent on a column, on um, light pole number two. So we ask, well, where are the other parts, the upper upper arm, the lower arm, and the lamp? Well, a picture by a gentleman called, uh, named uh, Courtney Plant, uh, happened to photograph the lamp, uh, light post number, lamp number two. He found the lamp head he, on the side of the road, he photographed the the lamp head and the upper lamp support arm, you could tell it was the upper one, and the lower lamp support arm was missing. Um, and so it wasn't in the pictures, it wasn't in, in, the, uh, in the area where this would have been. And what this um, suggests is that the lower, the missing lower lamp support arm from the leftmost light pole got dislodged, was flying through the air, hit the taxi cab that Lloyd England was driving. He slams on the brakes. Reaction time is about 80, um, at the, his speed is about, um, uh, let, he'd travel about 80 feet before he, he could react according to sta uh, standard uh, uh, braking distances. And then uh, the slowing would be another 80 feet. and. About 160 feet from where this happened, this is the 80 plus 80, is where his, his uh, taxi came to rest. It, and so the dimensions all lined up for this to have happened. Um, and, in, and if you actually look at the, the photographs, what you'll see is that there's something laying in front of Lloyd's taxi cab that looks like the uh, lower lamp support arm. Um, and if you take a look at uh, the, some of the photos, a photo from uh, Jason Ingersoll, you can see the, the, the mast and you can see the upper and lower lamp support arms for light pole number two. So we have an extra lower lamp support arm that whose, um, whose location in front of Lloyd's taxi cab has to, or really strongly supports that it was lamp post number two's lower lamp support arm that hit his tax cab that got transported and got taken out. Uh, and left in front of his cab. 
Um, so everything kind of lines up. Again, I presented this at my at the teleconference, and um, you know, just got a lot of pushback from from that. You know, um, so so by going through all this material, no one had any other good explanations because no. Um, but they didn't like my explanations because it supported what we will call um, the official impact story of a large, large plane. So as things are, have uh, continued to move along, um, I had, a, because I had acquired all this um, material, um, you know, I didn't have any real plans for what to do next on any of this. I thought just by these presentations being available and posted uh, that they would be um, used and would answer all these questions. But that wasn't to be, uh, that wasn't to happen. Um, people weren't flocking to say, hey, this is a great analysis. So um, I didn't know what my next steps were going to be. Um, and then just kind of a, a side personal note, I was driving to work one day in a and I heard something in the back of my car, I looked in the rear view mirror and saw a, um, a tree laying across the road where I just traveled. And if I had, um, um, it was about an eight inch tree uh, and so the branches hit the back of my car. If I had been uh, traveling a, a little bit slower, um, I uh, would have had a, a tree land on my, uh, on my, on, in my windshield and I wouldn't be here. And so I figured, you know, <laughs> this is a pretty close call. You know, is this, you know, why don't I try to wrap up all this Pentagon stuff in case, you know, who knows, another tree hits me. Um, so I began the process of turning all my materials into a um, long uh, single kind of lecture. And that took me about six months, six to eight months to do. And ultimately was done. And um, and I posted that up on on YouTube as a um, as this massive four and a half hour lecture of of me as a dull, boring um, engineer kind of going through the stuff, you know. Um, but I but it was all there. I figured it'd make uh, good research material. Ava Chandler uh, was impressed by the material. Um, he had he had to be corrected on a lot of the assumptions he had made about what happened at the Pentagon. Um, but he, he understood the physics and the analysis that had been done. He could now explain how the damage was done all the way from the, the approach through the, through the um, uh, damage to the C-ring. Uh, and, and he wanted to take this and break it up into a long, uh, uh, this long video into uh, the different chapters in Pacmodum, and and so that's kind of what we kind of what we did, um, and uh, then we've um, presented a conference that was based on this material that that brought in John Wyndham, um, uh, Warren Stutt, uh, Kenton Jenkins talked about the psychology, and Fran Schur moderated, and this was held in uh, in Denver in. May of uh, 2019. So I think I've covered kind of most of my journey. It's been kind of a kind of a long monologue here, uh, as I've as I've done this. The um, I'm trying to think if there's some other um, key aspects uh, here. But uh, most of you know, curiously enough, most of what I've done has been in response to people telling me that I'm wrong, and you know. Um, 
when people tell me that, I've, that all I've done is I've kept digging in deeper, looking um, to find out where I could have missed something, what else was missing, um, what else needed to be done to better understand what happened, uh, to come up with a better explanation. And all through this time, I've been waiting for people who have alternative hypotheses to come forward and say, well, you know, Wayne, um, you're wrong on this. Um, this piece of evidence uh, can only be explained by a large explosive detonation um, and you've missed it. And, but in fact, no one's been able to come up with anything like that. Um, I've been taunting people um, um, who tell me I'm wrong to come up with this kind of information, to explain this damage. And all I do is get called, you know, kind of bad names. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, where I'm, where I'm at on, on um, most of the, the evidence. One of the, uh, I do have one other um, interesting pieces of information and it's quite relevant. Um, as you're battling back and forth in these, in, in, in the environments with, uh, with people uh, who claim that they know what actually happened and are willing to take leaps of faith. One of the things that bothered me was um, uh, Porter Goss was giving a press conference uh, outside the U.S. Capitol, and there's an explosion. You can hear the explosion, uh, or something loud, sharp noise. Anyways, um, and people have always pointed that out, and they said that that was the Pentagon being hit or something else. But no one, because no one actually knew what time it was. So I um I also um had um, encountered one of Barbara Honegger's uh, um, ex explanations of the explosives. Um, Audra Barnes uh, was a reporter. I don't recall who she was with. It may have been NBC or maybe, I don't know. Um, as she's talking uh, at 10, 10 and three seconds uh, in the live broadcast, she says, Stop, wait, wait, wait. There, we just had another explosion at the Pentagon. Um, and because you could hear that, you could hear that boom in the live, in the, in the video. Um, and so a lot of people have said that that's proof. Um, but through the, through the resources on archive.org, I was able to go through and I, I was able to find other um, contemporary um, people at the Pentagon who at 10, 10 and or 10, 11 or 10, 12 are talking about that large boom. Um, uh, Dave Stoddard, I think it is, um, commented on that. And an, another gentleman, uh, one of his co-reporters on the Washington mall said, uh, no, that wasn't, I'm going to give you, give you uh, some insight as to what that noise was. It wasn't an explosion. It was a sonic boom. Uh, some planes were flying overhead. Now he heard this. I mean, this is this is all within a couple of minutes of this the boom that had been re re recounted by Audra Barnes. So it's clear that there's some other event that that happened there. Um, and so we uh, came up with a couple other references to it uh, that are pretty much time stamped at that at that time uh, that point in time. Um, 
there's some thought that that uh, some people have argued that that boom was when the the uh, outer E-ring wall was detonated and came down. But in fact, the the outer E-ring um, collapsed with a crunch sound, according to most people. It's not recorded in the audio of any of the videos that are out there, even though I think they could have been. It just wasn't loud enough. Um, but you can actually see it collapsing, and it's it wasn't at the 10, 10, and 3 seconds when the sonic boom hit. Uh, but it was it was 10, 14, and 30 seconds, I think it is. So it's about a four-minute gap. And you can actually see the the, the Pentagon outer earring um, giving way. All the time that it, after the, the plane knocked out most of the columns, the, the that section of the building was sagging. And it was visibly sagging by about 18 inches. And finally, um, after the fire had weakened the, the concrete below, because concrete will be will weaken during for for two reasons. It'll weaken during the during the the fire because uh, the uneven expansion of the aggregates within the concrete will weaken it. Um, and then, of course, um, if you hit concrete a concrete column uh, with a firefighting water jet it's going to go from being really hot to cracked uh, and losing some strength there in that way. And eventually after the, the fire and the firefighting, the, and the, and the stresses of having, of actually sagging 18 inches, it just, it just uh, gave away. You can actually see that in um, live video. Um, I think two different sources actually have that. Two or more sources actually have the uh, the, uh, the the collapse initiation and and uh, coming down, uh, just uh, crumbling from the from the top. So there's a so this um, oh that and then um, this is a kind of last comment about the sonic boom. There's a Mark Puritano um, gives a gave a talk. He gave a talk about um, his experiences to uh, voices of 9/11, and um, in it, a time frame that's consistent. He's in a car going to from um, Arlington to, to Alexandria, Virginia, uh, with two Air Force Air Force officers, and they comment about the sonic boom. They no, it's not explosion. That's a sonic boom. They, someone must be in a hurry to get somewhere. Um, this is an obscure comment. Uh, it's not part of any of the stories of 9-11 I've ever heard of before. Um, but um, it is consistent with this 10-10 time frame, although there's nothing to really peg it that closely. It's just a whole series of his movements um, as he's, his story as he's leaving and driving, uh, driving away, getting picked up by these, uh, you know, hitchhiking uh, through um through town. Anyway, um, I think that's a lot of what I wanted to, to kind of go over. Um, you know, I will say, I can say some other things too. Uh, one of the, um, one of the things that uh, people have commented on when it comes to the fact that it couldn't have been a plane, uh, they take, they take a look at the um, the hole in the second floor, and they comment on the fact that there is a column that is right dead center in the middle. 
this column is um, a, would be just like a bar and it says we couldn't have a plane going through there because look at the column is still there, it's still intact and it's still vertical. Uh, look at the this composite image. Look at the look at this composite image. It's it's the one that I like to use because it shows everything. But it shows this opening with this column right in the middle. And uh, uh, it has been argued that this is the most def uh, definitive proof that a plane couldn't have hit there. Um, but it turns out this composite image was one that was put together from many different images. Um, because there was so much smoke, uh, there was not a good single image. So people made composites. In this particular composite, the opening, the, the, the picture that was used for the opening was actually taken from along the flight path. And so if a plane was coming in and impacting there and pushing the column in the direction the plane was going, it would look um, vertical. Um, and that's how it looks. And, you know, again, you know, just trying to, try, trying to dig in before you say anything um, wrong, uh, are there other images out there that I could look to triangulate to see if, in fact, this column is vertical? Um, there was a rebuttal to my video, uh, the video that David Chandler uh, had re-narrated, um, basically saying that this, um, this column proves it. So I said, well, let me go dig into this, and uh, it turns out that Will Morris, the Will Morris photo from the north end that shows the kind of the cars being um, in flames, a couple of vehicles that were out there, um, the north end of the opening shortly after uh, impact. Um, you can also see the opening where the column 14AA on the, on the second floor would have been, but it's not there. And if you look through the smoke, change the, the, um, the contrast and the brightness, um, it make to make, just to make it look easy, uh, easier to see, you can actually see that the column is not vertical. It's actually hanging in and pushing in the direction of the plane impact. And there's also a CBS, CBS 5, CBS 9, um, whoever, whichever uh, channel it was, um, that has a basically a straight-on view of the Pentagon. And as the smoke um, drifts into where it's clear, not clear, um, the shot, uh, you can actually see that the column is actually leaning, um, connected to the third floor and and uh, and angled in. And so it's it's not vertical. It's actually angled in the direction of the uh, the plane impact, just like many other columns uh, that were that are uh, seen in the uh, in the damaged Pentagon. Um, there's a number of them that in the in our in the lecture I, I actually talk about. Um, so I think that kind of covers um, most of the um, most of the issues. I do. Oh, I do have one other, um, another uh, interesting puzzle piece. You know, the the question is, uh, why is the the debris plan, um, found on the heliport and north, uh, but nothing to the south? If there had been internal explosions that did the dispersion, or external explosions, or whatever had done the damage, the debris would be uniformly located outside of the of the the opening where the blast would have been 
uh, all across the lawn, you, you know, just spewed out. But in fact, it's almost all to the, to the north and to the left. And in trying to actually figure out how this could have happened, um, because there's been a lot of discussion about uh, air um, wing vortices, uh, um, dug into the issue of drag, um, aeronautical drag of a plane as it's coming through the air. What it ends up doing is it ends up uh, pushing air um, down a little bit in a little bit in front, mostly down, um, and then the air that has been pushed down has to be replaced by something. And so there's a trailing air mass that, uh, as the plane moves along, it's like a wake. Um, and so the observation or the contention is that as the plane is approaching, uh, there's uh, this this air mass behind it that is traveling at the speed of the plane. Because if you look at the, the skin exactly, exactly, exactly behind the plane, um, there's the air there has to be going exactly the same speed as the plane until you go supersonic, in which case uh, the air separates. Uh, there can actually be a void. Um, but the, so there's got to be air traveling in, traveling behind the plane in the direction of travel. And as the plane impacted the Pentagon, as it, as it, as, and the, uh, there's another thing here, as the plane penetrated into the building, it's ramming air into the Pentagon. The it rammed in air has to go someplace. And so um, people have reported the windows blow, bowing out or blowing out. Um, and in fact, um, that is consistent with the plane coming in, ramming in air and the air has got to go someplace. There are also many people within the Pentagon, um, their accounts, they're, they, they talk about the winds. Now explosions inside, explosions are very high energy, but they don't create winds. But people were talked about holding up their hands to try to um, uh, hold a whiteboard that was coming at them. You know, I mean, th these aren't explosions. These are, these are winds and people talked about the wind. Um, if you listen to enough original sources, people will comment on things like this. So there's a there's this trailing air mass that is um, behind the plane, and as the plane impacts and as the jet fuel is um, dispersed upon some of it's dispersed upon impact, it's being violently mixed with this trailing air mass, creating the fireball. It also has this directionality to it that is coming in from from the right, from the south, and going towards the the north. And so it's going to reflect off the um, the building um, and go and and as the fireball is evolving, it's going to go up and over and uh, with this northward component and drop all the lots of debris. Also, in the debris, if you actually look at the photos, you'll see a lot of um, tree branches. Um, and people wondered where the, where it comes from, but this is the, the remnants of the tree that have been in front of column 16. Um, so this, this this trailing air mass is another um, piece that I that I put together uh, that seems to be very uh, explainable um, explanatory explanatory of how the debris got to the north. Um, had a lot of controversy with um, some of my some of my colleagues uh, who were reluctant who actually took them a while before they actually um, 
agreed with this, but um, because there's actually two different kinds of um, debris that goes was um, ejected. Uh, one of which is the hard rocks and things like that, and that rained on a lot of people. Um, and those are hard, dense, and you can actually in the security camera videos you can actually see stuff being ejected out. It's not. It's going fast, but not so fast. Uh, I, I guessed it. I estimated some of the materials to be going out of um, at you know 70 to 90 miles an hour or something like that about about as fast as a good softball pitch um, but certainly not explosive and this isn't trying to address the issues of uh, whether or not there were explosions um, materials travel far too slow for it to be an explosion um, explosives don't go off at softball pitch speeds um, but there's a lot of hard material that that got ejected um, in some of the in the security videos. You can see them landing, um, and you you know about how far away it is, and you, you can estimate the the feet per second uh, uh, it would have had to travel um, to 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 get there. So there's a there's a whole host of things that lead us to the conclusion that. The only thing, the only hypothesis that fits is the large plane impact. Um, there's no evidence that I've been able to find that as anyone's brought forward that ex that would be for a large detonation. There's there's nothing. Uh, an external large detonation like in front of Oklahoma City, um, the Murrah Federal Building, or the Cobra uh, Towers large external explosions that bash uh, that uh, the, uh, the pressure wave bashed the way the entire facade um, there's nothing like that the entire um, third fourth and fifth floors of the Pentagon are uh, undamaged and they're just basically limestone and brick with these um, window frames so there's 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 um, nothing to support um, the external explosions. There's nothing to support a flyover. Uh, people like to talk about Roosevelt Roberts, but um, for him to have been on the loading dock um, and be able to talk about uh, seeing something over the South parking, he's um, if even if it was on the on the back loading dock um, when the plane went over, he still would have to look up. Um, five stories above him and see a plane that was uh, 500 feet uh, behind that the the uh, the um, the corner of that or the ceiling of that wall uh, no way he could have seen that because uh, he actually was claimed to be on the inside um, and a plane traveling at any speed at all would be uh, out of the way so there's and there's nothing captured in the double tree videos so there's Nothing that supports a flyover. There's nothing that supports detonations. Um, and the only thing that is really left is the large plane impact. Now, um, it's to me, it's unclear from the evidence that I can see uh, whether or not it's flight 77 and whether or not some of the, the passengers on it would have been Barbara Olson and, and others. We do know that there's, there's troubles with those stories. Um, but um, that doesn't mean that the, that it wasn't actually a flight 77 that actually uh, came in. Warren Stutt as our, at our uh, conference in Denver actually presents a lot of detailed information about the flight data recorder, uh, some stuff that I was unaware of uh, that suggests that there may have been 
some kind of a struggle, something weird happening because uh, the plane loses altitude, is kind of wobbly uh, shortly after it turns around, as if someone is uh, either wrestling with the um, control mechanism to try to get it to um, to work right or trying to reprogram it. Um, who knows what's going on? But there's some some funny things that are in the flight data recorder. But the flight data recorder seems to have all sorts, all manners of um, uh, consistent data um, that is corroborated with uh, the radar data, which is corroborated with um, witnesses. And I didn't really want to get too much into the this piece of it because it's not my field of uh, expertise. But one of the things that, that I've looked at recently is um, trying to compare the altitude of the flight data recorder with some of the witnesses. And the one witness that I I find really interesting. Um, again, these are obscure people. Um, there's a fellow named Tom Trapezio who, or Tra Tra whatever his name, Tom, I call him Tom Trapezio, uh, 1400 South Barton. Um, he's about a mile and a half away from the Pentagon. And he reports um, that the plane flew over his porch at about 400 feet at treetop level, 400 feet, he guessed. And when you actually take a look at the altitude from the flight data recorder uh, at that time period, he, um, he's about 300 feet above sea level there. 300 feet plus the 400 feet above um, the ground gives you about 700 feet. And that's about the altitude the flight data recorder would have had. And it's a straight line. This is on the straight line that Matt marries up all the data for the um, radars, the flight data recorder, Tom Trapezio's back porch goes right over it uh, on a straight line um, uh, into the, the Pentagon according to, and uh, puts it in a position to put the uh, the shadow down and uh, that would have been captured by the Sitco security camera, put a notch into a tree next to Washington Boulevard where the right engine would have gone. It looks like put a scuff mark on a Virginia Department of Transportation camera tower, um, giving it exactly enough room to barely hit light pole number two. David Chandler did this dimension. This dimension. Um, it didn't sever it, but it bent it, suggesting that it was a glancing blow. Uh, to go through the the light poles three, four, five, hit the generator. Uh, trailer with the right engine to hit the left, have the left uh, engine hit the retaining wall, sever the tree stump um, at a location between the right engine and the fuselage, uh, and then to impact the columns uh, 18, 19, and 20 on the right-hand side, but not 20, um, to have the Benton knock out all the columns uh, on the first floor except column 9AA, which ends up being Benton boat. Everything fits a large plane impact. And then to have, I guess this is another couple of pieces. Uh, we've, uh, one of those identifiable pieces that's in the, the wreckage outside the C-ring exit hole in A&E drive is the rim of a main landing wheel. And I, I always thought that they were on the, somewhere stowed on the wings on the far side, but in fact, they come up into the belly of the plane. So they are in fact um, underneath the seats effectively. Um, and, and 
one of those wheels with that rim is what tra apparently traveled through this two and a half foot wide um, forest of columns, uh, path through the forest of columns. They hit the C ring and, and knock it, knock it out. But um, I found a picture of these, of where these wing, these uh, wheels were stored, and they were stored right along the center line of the building, uh, of the of the, uh, the Pentagon. Sorry, uh, along the center line of the uh, 757 uh, fuselage. Um, so I think that's that's probably um, most of the things that I can talk about. Um, I see one more thing. I guess um, there is a most dramatic photograph. It was taken by Daryl Donnelly, um, and I talked to him. And he described taking the picture. It's a big fireball in front of the Pentagon. Um, and he describes uh, this being, you know, somewhere around five minutes afterwards, he stop, um, the plane goes over his car. Um, he gets out. He's got a camera. He fumbles to get the camera loaded uh, with film. Um, he starts taking pictures, and they're pretty, ama they're pretty amazing. Um, And one of them, um, I think it's the sixteenth or seventeenth in the series, um, is a, is this fireball. And he says uh, he was looking through the viewfinder, uh, and he saw he saw the fireball begin, and he said that he could he, he everything has like a chunk of time. He says, and he said he waited four chunks of time, and then he took a picture, and that's the the one that is. Um, uh, it's one of the images that's in the Library of Congress. Uh, it's one that everyone sees, but no one knows where it is or, or anything about it. Um, it turns out that this fireball in front of the, uh, and Barbara Honiger somehow says that this is related to an uplifted slab that's in the middle of um, the D-ring. I'll, I'll get to that in a, uh, in a little bit. But um, this, um, this fireball that's evolving is, or is, is captured. Um, is also captured live on television um, on both NBC and CBS, who have um, uh, a site at the CN. I think it's the USA Today, USA Today Towers um, in Rosalind, and they they both seem to have cameras from about the same angle. The CBS one is actually in in, in color. Um, and you can actually see the fireball evolve, and it's at 9:42 in I think 40 seconds. So that um, Dylan Avery in in um, the loose change form in I think 2007 actually comments on this particular thing and wants to know. He's he's posting wanting to know what what it, what it was, and if I recall right. But he had he had commented on it. So it's there's so much information that about the Pentagon that people have talked about that have been obliterated and lost and uh, been replaced by stories that uh, seem to be devoid of facts. And I'm, I've been trying to um, accumulate as much of the, the story as I can. Um, and I'm very much willing to be corrected, but um, I also believe in doing enough homework so that I don't have to be corrected. I, I have, there are mistakes in the presentation, nothing significant, but uh, there are misstatements. Um, the things that upon later scrutiny are are not quite uh, as I said they were, but they were they're generally very close. 
there's some, some of these details. Um, and right now I'm drawing a blank is kind of what they are, you know. Um, but this, the um, uplifted slab in the middle of the D-ring is something that Barbara Honiger claims is proof of explos explos explosions. But in fact, if you look at some of the close-ups of this, um, and I ran across one on, a, you know, someone's doing a review of the Pentagon damage. It uh, was released in a FOIA. It's up, actually up on the FBI website. It's actually an unlisted YouTube video. Um, there's a really incredible shot, uh, close-up of it. Uh, the ASCE report has a really kind of grainy picture of it. But you can see that the slab is, in the, the uplifted slab, if there was an explosion down below, it would have, that damaged it, it would have created a, an up and the thing would have collapsed down. Lots of things would be crumbled. At least that's what I would expect. But what you actually see is a is a, a piece of sidewalk, what looks like a, a narrow piece of sidewalk that um, um, a tree has grown up and it's just kind of cracked in the middle. I mean, of course, there's no sidewalk in the Pentagon. It's just it is uh, it is broken in half and and angled upwards. So it is uplifted, but it looks like it was impacted by a mechanical a mechanical event as opposed to a pressure wave from below, which is an what an explosion would have been. So I think I've pretty well covered most of my, um, most of the materials. Um, I, I do have um, one, I guess, kind of a, a, maybe a closing comment or something like that in which, um, uh, I'll, I'll say that this particular discussion about the Pentagon is very painful for many people, if they'll listen. Because, like myself, I had been, I had been um, observing the Pentagon in the past. I had adopted a story. I had told the story. It was wrong. I now find out that it's wrong. And it's really hard to say that, well, you know, I looked and I told lots of people, but you know what, I, I, I was wrong. Um, there are some people that that comes very hard for. Um, but there are others that no matter what they say, they, or whatever evidence is presented, there's too much cognitive dissonance. They can't take it in. I was this way back about 2011 when I was told that uh, there was a hundred foot opening in the, on the first floor. I, I just went tilt. I couldn't listen to it. Um, but there are those who, who regardless of what is presented, don't have the, the ability or the, or the um, motivation to actually look at it with fresh eyes. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of pushback. And, and again, you have to remember that all the 9-11 related videos that talk about the, the damage of the Pentagon are uniform in their message, anything but a large plane impact, which is curious because the only thing that explains the damage is a large plane impact and there's no physical evidence for anything else. The argument that the government has to present us with this information to basically tell us what happened um, 
is, and refuse to actually look at what's there suggests that even if they gave us additional security cameras or videos or whatever, they would just be dismissed because it doesn't fit the preconceived notion of the story uh, that people have been um, claiming happened but didn't uh, for so long and that they, they, they just don't know how to um, uh, correct themselves. So, um, those are, it's a real problem for, for people to have, have to be able to go and reflect uh, that many of their heroes were wrong. There are many of their 9-11, the Dave Van Kleist who talked about nine and a half feet, eight, uh, nine and a half feet of steel reinforced concrete walls, uh, um, the on and on and on. There, there's so many people that have said the wrong things for so long, um, even though they can't agree with each other or explain it, how it, how, uh, it could have happened. Uh, the only thing they agree is that there was no plane. But in fact, it, it's astonishing that that is, that's the way that we find ourselves right now. So I guess that's all I have for, for, uh, for now. Are there any things that I've missed that you think I, that you'd like to hear about? Adam, any questions? Uh, wow. Uh, you covered a lot of ground and I have a lot of questions for you regarding that. Um, I, you know, let me, let me go to the most recent, I think, in regards to why, why this specific incident. And 9-11 is a huge uh, event in itself. But it seems to me that with 9-11, most people within the two competing groups, which are truthers and debunkers, there are four points uh, that are only worthy of talking about. And they call this, well, most people within the 9-11 truth community call this the official narrative. To me, I've always found that to be quite uh, unfulfilling because if you're, if you're talking about the 9-11 commission, I would say that they didn't put forth a narrative. I mean, uh, it was incomplete as a whole, but the, 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 the general consensus is that the official narrative is that four planes were hijacked and they crashed into the World Trade Center Pentagon in Shanksville. The dividing factor within just the truther community seems to be concentrated on the Pentagon issue. I think, I think my question to you, Wayne Costi, is this. Why, why do you think this one issue has become the forefront for these people who from 2006 onwards, since the, the production of Loose Change and In Plain Sight and the following uh, conspiracy uh, theorists that purport the fantastical scenarios of CGI plane, hologram, or smaller uh, drones, drone planes outfitted to look like an American airline plane. Why, why did this become the forefront and become a dividing factor within the truth community? Okay, so I got to take issue with your your comment, uh, with one of your comments, um, and and that is the, um, that the Pentagon is the the kind of the the one area of key disagreements. Let's roll this thing back to the two thousand and six time frame that you're talking about, and what you'll find is that the Judy Woods Judy Wood had just produced her book, Where Do the Towers Go? 
where do the towers go? I think that's the name of it. Um, and there were many, uh, many competing hypotheses for directed energy weapons, something that made no sense at all. Um, and the thing that ultimately happened was a fellow named Richard Gage came, um, came out with an idea that if we had a petition and gathered the architects and the engineers together, we could uh, demand a new investigation. And they, they took, a, because his expertise was the Twin Towers um, in Building 7, the steel construction, because of that, they were able to um, provide the intellectual and the, and the um, evidentiary background for why these towers should not have collapsed in the way that they did. Um, and they were able to keep the arguments focused and um, the very strong, even today, I mean, maybe not strong anymore, but the persistent um, arguments that I do still see about directed energy weapons and mini nukes, for which again, something for which there is no uh, evidence is uh, still out there and still strong. Uh, maybe not strong. It's it's still out there. It still keeps getting regurgitated, especially at the 9/11 anniversary times. Um, I actually had to put together an article for the 9/11tap.org website on uh, the nuclear demolition uh, in advance of this year, simply because uh, I knew that these comments were going to be coming, uh, and that there'd be no. Uh, also, did a couple on the the tap website for. Um, plane impact damage um, at the Twin Towers. Where what I did is I took a look at the pictures. What was the damage? Uh, can we see anything bowed outwards, uh, exploded outwards? No. Uh, so to get to your answer, the the Twin Towers and Building Seven would have been the same uh, honeypot had there not been an architects and engineers group to form. When it came to the Pentagon, there was never anyone with that level of interest uh, to take that on and, and make it their organization. I mean, there was um, there was pilots for 9/11 Truth that ultimately seemed to have a um, um, not a very good grasp of a lot of scientific uh, issues. Um, the, uh, so there weren't really any good organizations that had um, a lot of um, support to dig into the Pentagon and that left the vacuum that uh, CIT uh, exploited, exploited uh, and others still kind of exploit in that, in that area. Um, Shanksville, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I don't have an opinion about what happened at Shanksville because it is it's controversial uh, and it takes a lot of time to f uh, ferret out what actually happened and what didn't. Um, and so um, I haven't looked at that, but I think the, the but the Pentagon has been uh, quite the, quite the, the focus of a lot of debate because there is, there has been so much emphasis on witnesses um, and I found this one that in my first uh, debate with uh, Craig McKee and Adam Ruff, I was talking about damage. They were talking about witnesses um, and uh, doing character assassinations effectively. Oh, they misstated this so that you have to discard everything they said. Um, they're a plant. Um, 
those types of things. But you, but um, when it comes when it comes to um, uh, the, the Pentagon, it's it's very few people are able to are were able to actually dig into the data. It's it's it still astonishes me that until I identified the tree at column 16 that nobody, I mean, it's a major, those trees have been there. Nobody had been looking at this stuff. Um, I, I hadn't seen people talk about the damage to columns 18, 19, and 20, and note that column 18 is actually not just bashed in, it's pushed to the right. What could have done that? The thing that could have caused that would have been the, the, the right wing as it's pivoting in, it's going to be pushing out against the, the structure and it's going to push it to the right. And by gosh, that's what you see. Um, there, there's um, people ask, where did the tail hit? Well, if you actually go through the mechanics and I had to teach Chandler this particular to, to look at it this way. Um, if you, if you impact the right engine with the diesel generator, the, the plane is going to rotate um, clockwise. Uh, and that's going to, make the tail hit not straight at column 14 that it's going to be someplace in the side. And if you take a look at the, the damage, what you see is um, uh, just to the left of the, this, this 18 foot opening are two windows. Those two windows don't have any bricks under underneath them. They got bashed out. The L, the, the height of the wing um, based on, the center line the, it being centered on uh, the middle height of uh, column 9A um, couldn't have hit it. What could have hit it? Well, it would have been the tail, uh, a little bit about uh, about 20 feet, 15, 20 feet to the left of where a lot of other people thought, just by looking at basic dynamics. I mean, there's so much uh, I've been able to find just by looking. and in the literature on about the Pentagon before I started doing this, um, there might've been an article here or there that would talk about some of these aspects, but they were, they were all lost. And so um, lost, they were discarded. Um, people gave up against the uh, tsunami of um, all the wrong, all the people that are, that were misinformed um, by their favorite DVDs and videos. So I, I don't know. I, I think I'm done rambling on this particular answer, but uh, glad to address something else. Sure. Um, my I, I, just my a question regarding uh, the tree stump that you you basically uh, discovered. I I I think that is probably one of the most surreal pieces of evidence uh, that you've uncovered in your. A brilliant five-hour presentation, which I've become very enamored with, because I I, I feel that um, in regards to um, research and investigation into, especially the Pentagon issue, uh, it it went over and beyond anything that that has ever been uh, out there regarding the Pentagon issue or 9/11 in regards to even just the geopolitics, which what I'm interested, and even the physics. Um, how did you come across that information itself specifically, and why is that important in regards to the competing conspiracy theories of a missile or uh, anything else that contradicts a large plane? Well, uh, 
I mean, it's a, you know, again, I spent, okay, um, because of these debates with, on, the, on this 9-11 monthly conference call and Craig McKee basically not conceding these points, I had to keep digging deeper. So what I would end up doing is I would look at the um, photos and, and I'd look at them, I'd go through looking for one thing and I'd have to go through another hundred photos or so to, to see, um, try to find the one that I was looking for or something I might have seen or I wanted to look at something. And one of the best places, by the way, for, for um, photos all in one place is uh, if you go to Wikimedia. They have a, a section with a couple hundred high quality photos related to the Pentagon. Mostly it's uh, during the cleanup, but uh, some of the ones from that day also. Um, but I would, I, I happened to run across somebody who made a comment about the tree stump. And I said, tree stump? What's, you know, what is that doing there? Um, and it just got filed away. And then again, as I'm traveling through all these photos to look for, for a support or, you know, is this true? Is it not, not true? You know, can I say this? Can I not say this? Um, I would run across this tree stump more and more often because I was now knew that it was there. Um, and, oh, I know what happened. I got into uh, Barbara, Barbara Honiger on one of these things, to, uh, these 9-11 monthly conference calls, would ask the question, um, and one of them was, well, there was an explosion, and you can see the blown out rebar in the, if you go to my, behind the smoke curtain, you'll see this blown, this exploded out rebar uh, at the north end. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I go take a look at it, and I see this, this mass of stuff in these, um, that's, it could, what is this stuff? And first of all, this is, if, in, okay, so let's see, let me, let me, let me stop here. Um, change subjects completely. Let's talk about general theory of relativity and Albert Einstein. Uh, apparently there was, there was a, a time where Albert Einstein was confronted with a paper that had a hundred, something like hundred physicists uh, refuting Einstein's general theory of relativity. And Einstein says, what do I need, what do you need so many for? All I need is one person to tell me I'm wrong uh, and to show me. And, and um, okay, so that's the end of the Einstein story. So, um, so with Barbara's assertion that there's exploded out rebar from, an, uh, from a column and there's evidence, I, I went looking and I could not explain for the life of me what these tree branches were doing there. Um, they look like tree branches and you zoom in their tree branch, but where did this tree branch, why are there tree branches here? Is it part of the tree that um, it was on either side of the fire exit? Um, the fire exit is between wedge one and wedge two behind the, behind the fire, or the heliport. Uh, and no, it's too far away and there's nothing damaged to there. So as I go looking through this Wikimedia site, I, I see that in fact there is some photos from the evening of 9-11 in which there's a tree that has been cut, that's been limbed and there, it's been limbed and you can see the fresh wood cuts. You can see the end that have been cut uh, 
um, into a shorter piece. Um, and um, uh, I said, oh, there's a tree that's been here. And I go looking around and sure enough, in Jason, a Jason Ingersoll photo, I found the tree. Um, uh, number of other photos you could find the tree that uh, during the firefighting. And then I start to try to piece together how could this have happened? Um, how could this tree have been there? Uh, part of the tree in front of column 16, it must have been. And the only thing that could happen is for the tree to have been severed, slammed up against the wall um, with a northward velocity. As, it, as the plane is entering the, the building, it has to, the tree stump either has to stay where it is, uh, the, the, the upper part of the tree either has to stay there or it's got this northward velocity or it's got to travel somehow through the, through the plane. And the, the mass of the plane is, or the mass of the, the, the tree is, tree trunk is at the base and so it's got the most mass and it's gonna um, continue going um, northward. Uh, the top of the tree um, has, is fairly light and uh, it's going to rotate around the kind of center of mass here uh, and the with this imparted velocity to the north and it gets dragged that's going to leave the, the tree branches conceptually um, um, uh, on the southward side and that in fact is what we see and once I realized that I could now explain these this funky tree um, these funky tree branches, it was, it was um, easy to kind of put it together. There's still some mechanical pieces for how does this actually work, but it, it seems like it went through the plane because um, when they're gathering up the, some of the, uh, the part, large parts of the plane, there's parts where potentially the, the tree could have ripped through. There's a, an overhead luggage rack outside. I don't know exactly where it was found. Um, but it would be consistent with this this tree crashing through with a velocity to the to the to the to the north or left. Um, so I have Barbara to thank for that because I didn't want to be I, I didn't think I was wrong and, and when I looked closely I could see that it wasn't exploded out rebar, it wasn't exploded out columns. It was tree branches that were burning, and it was obvious once you looked, and I. You know, I've um, criticized uh, people for not looking very carefully uh, before they say things. Because, I, I, you know, I don't like to be told I've made a misstatement, but so I try to be careful. So that's how I came across the, the, the tree, the tree stump, and kind of put it all together. In, in Chapter 7 of your presentation, you, you showed that the, the plane itself uh, in regards to a northern path, where you show about the, the notched tree, which was, it was a tree, it seemed to be sheared from the plane uh, coming into the Pentagon. And this would contradict uh, uh, the north, the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the north path of that CIT claims, and also of a, uh, a flyover because it would be too low at that point to do a flyover because it was right near the Pentagon building itself. Um, can you explain a little bit more about this uh, 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 in regards to your chapter? Well, um, 
So the, there's a couple of things you, you've raised. One is the, um, the north of Sitco flight path that the that CIT right. um, mentioned. Um, I'll just say that um, the north of, north of Sitco flight path, uh, as other people have said, is impossible. Uh, first of all, if you're going to talk about the 200, uh, the 330 degree circular corkscrew descent turn, um, you, if, if you're going to say that that's part of the, the, the story that you're going to say is, is, is right, um, as the plane's coming in, there's no way for it to, um, at, as the plane is accelerated up to the magnitude of 500 miles an hour, to be heading straight in towards the Pentagon and then to have um, crossed over the Navy Annex as the CIT witnesses um, got convinced to draw the pictures. Um, there's no way they could cross over the Navy Annex, go north of Sitco, go along the, um, the, go over the Arlington National Cemetery stone wall and then turn to hit the, the, the Pentagon. Uh, the momentum of the plane makes it impossible to, to do that. The planes can only deal with the, can only use the air to change its directions and it takes long distances to be able to change directions. Uh, they can't, uh, you could you could get a model airplane to do this, but they're traveling at low speeds, not not 500 miles an hour. So there's, there's no way to, to actually make the little blip around the Sitco station and impact the plane or even or impact the Pentagon or even fly over anywhere near it. If it did veer, it would have to be continuing out north of Washington, uh, north and in, in, uh, uh, west of Washington, zooming out towards New York or something like that. It couldn't be going. It couldn't. Re, it couldn't do the, the the little jig step. The plane just can't do that. So that's the that's the north of that's the problem with the north of uh, Sitco. Uh, flight path. <clears throat> the notch that you're mentioning, now David Chandler during the uh, Denver conference did a much more comprehensive review of the the, the tree. But if you um, also look at a couple of data points, one of which is on the very left-hand side uh, where light pole two is, is dealt a glancing blow. Um, it's a 124, and you had a 20, 124 um, foot wingspan. Um, it would be long enough, wide enough, uh, the path would be wide enough so that the right part of the wing would have scuffed the V-dot tower, uh, knocked off one of the rungs, which is, which is noted in one of the, in, in the loose change. Um, but it, it's exactly 124 feet if you do that. And if you take a look at that, that uh, geometry, the place where the right engine would be, would be going right through the middle of this tree. Um, and we see a the tree after 9-11 looks a little bit notched, like it's got a U in it, like something went through and sliced it. Now, if you go um, and do a lot of research on the Sitco station, you'll end up with a picture of the opening day in which they put in, I think, a compressed natural gas um, Fueling, refueling facility uh, there. And there's a lot of pictures that was done in early part of the year 2000, um, 14, 18 months before 9-11. And what you see then is the tree in the distance. 
and it doesn't have a notch shape. It's got a round tree, tree shape, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't exhibit this notched uh, picture. And that's, it's a distance. It's hard to see, but it's unmistakable that it's, that the tree is not deformed. It's a nice round, fluffy tree like you'd always see. Um, and so because of the, because of the, the geometry, because of where the right wing would have been, we can exactly plant, we can hypothesize that this is where the, the right engine would have been. And then if you take a look at where the uh, light pole number one is, the one that was actually severed into three pieces, um, to the best of my abilities, which is not, I haven't looked at this in any extraordinary detail, but it looks like the light pole would have been hit by the side of the, the engine. Um, you know, those big, large opening. Uh, and I, it looks like the, the light pole wasn't severed. It looks like it was severed. It doesn't look like it was severed in half. It looks like it was severed into three pieces where the middle section was just punched out. Um, the, because there's the there's a there's the mass which is in front of Lloyd's taxi kind of, or off to one side. There's the um, um, a middle section that is ultimately in the left hand lane, and then there is the very tip which is apparently has fallen right about where the where it had been, just felt um, got severed very quickly and um, just dropped. Um, so it looks like. Um, Everything, everything there kind of um, lines up uh, with that notch. Um, and I'll, I'll just mention the other light poles. People have said that they must have been, they could have been planted there the night before. But if you actually look at the photos, um, dig around, find the photos. I've got most of them in my in the lecture. You'll see that the where these where the light poles are broken, uh, they are actually severed in in half. You know they're severed. They're it's a lightweight aluminum, um, and it looks like they were they were just whacked with a, a effectively a big sword and, and cut in half. They're all crunched up. Uh, it's not nothing is nice and smooth and clean, but um, they are severed. They aren't like knocked over at the base and fall and fallen with explosives like some people have guessed, um, or cut some other way. They're actually severed um, at the at about the, at the heights where the, they were impacted by the plane's uh, wing. And if you say, that, should there be some damage from that to the, uh, to the plane, the wing would have been severed. Well, um, you're looking at light wing, uh, lightweight aluminum hitting um, a, a reinforced wing uh, that's also maybe made of, of heavier aluminum and the, the he heavier, more massive one would have um, would have would have won out and and, and cut through the light lighter um, light pole. So everything kind of fits. And one of the th pieces of debris that was found, um, and I've placed it um, between light pole number three and the facade uh, from one of the photographs, um, is a leading wing slat. And again, uh, no one has really identified this piece. They other people had speculated it was a door. What is this thing? You know, but in fact, it's a leading wing slat. And I actually show some pictures of a leading wing slat um, um, in the in the lecture. Um, 
being retracted as it's uh, as planes taking off. YouTube's a great source for a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, and then um, the, uh, there's some characteristic parts that uh, when a leading wing slats on a workbench, um, one of the mechanics is actually, you know, you can actually see it, see the, the extender arm that is used to control it. So there's, you know, I, I've probably gone all, um, around a, a lot on this particular piece, but uh, I, I hope I've described, uh, you know, the, the notch and a lot of the things that are associated with it. Just a, just a real quick follow-up, if I could. Um, also, in regards to, because this seems to be a very big uh, point of contention within people that say that the plane couldn't have impacted the Pentagon, and that is the location of the cable spools. Um, there was a, there was a photograph you had in your presentation, which I, I, I never saw before. And that was before it seemed to be taken like maybe a couple of weeks prior or maybe days prior where they showed the spools. Actually, yep. I, I think they were by the generator, if I'm correct. Yep. Yep. Um, and they were stacked, but then, um, you give a pretty good explanation as to how the spools have been moved by a large plane. Maybe you could go over that for the audience here. Okay, so um, there's two pieces of kind of, uh, I would say, evidence as to where the uh, spools were. Um, one is the video that, or the, the, the series of uh, images that, I've, that I got, I don't know how many of I, I actually used. That came, I was just floored when I was watching the a PBS um, remember, uh, Pentagon on 9-11 thing that came out just a few years ago. I said, I've never seen such a clear shot of the west um, part of the Pentagon, mm -hmm. and you could see that you could. That's where I got the the screenshots for the location of the schools. The other locate the other one is a satellite video that was Friday, uh, September seventh, um, about four days earlier. Uh, that if you look. Um, if, if you've seen the video and you look at the, the satellite, you can actually see the, the spots, the, the dots where they, where they were located. You know, you can't see them very well, but they are there. Um, and so once you are sure that they were there um, the, the, a few days before, um, they were there when this other video was taken, you can assume that they probably didn't get moved that day. Um, and then you can start doing some analysis to see, okay, where are the, where are the spools um, afterwards? Um, and which ones do I think I can account for? And um, there were seven spools that I could, I, I could identify. I think it was seven. Um, uh, but there were two of them for which there seemed to be no explanation for where they ended up. There's no videos, there's no photos that I could find. So they, they kind of got, they kind of disappeared someplace. Now, my contention, I'm glad to be corrected on this, is that uh, the wing, that the, the lower part of the wing actually uh, glanced a, a couple of the spools and, and uh, imparted a rolling motion um, to them, and they rolled, they rolled towards the Pentagon. Um, there was a couple others that were shorter that appeared to be um, shielded either by the higher 
one's uh, um, deflecting the wing up, uh, not the whole wing, but the, the aluminum in the area deforming it, or they were just too short and too low for the plane to actually have hit. But it looks like the plane probably, wing probably gave them all a glancing blow. Um, if the wing had survived, uh, you would have probably seen um, some some scar, some some gouges um, in the in the aluminum as these things would have uh, damaged the underside of the wing. Uh, there is something similar on the diesel generator trailer. There's the the bashed in uh, piece, uh, or the, the uh, end, and then uh, about ten feet to the um, to the south, there's a secondary gouge where the um, what they call the canoes, which is, which houses the mechanical levers for the the wing retraction, um, uh, wing flap retraction, uh, would have been located. So you can see that you would have seen the scars there. But uh, my guess is that um, that the 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 ones that didn't move were too low, and the ones that were were um, moved um, were imparted with some rolling motion based on the the plane. Um, uh, planes wing you know hitting them on the top so i think i answered your question there richard well yeah i just have one question really uh wayne and then there's i've seen you make references to cointelpro before when you've been posting on facebook and the the pentagon issue is not one i've like I haven't looked at it in the depth that, that Adam has. Say. I've watched your presentation. I've um, watched some of the presentations that counter it, and I've read some articles, but I've not spent like the vast amount of time that's necessary to really come to clarity in my own mind about it. Um, but one thing I think that is clear to like anyone who just say watches two opposing presentations is that it really seems that someone's not being honest. Okay, because I can see how disagreement can arise about like eyewitness testimony, say, because eyewitnesses get stuff wrong and they get stuff 70% right. There's how much weight you put on them. And it, it's a complex thing. But the disagreements seem to be arising over things like very basic measurements of the size of the hole or something. And I wonder if you care to elaborate on any thought you have on, on a kind of COINTELPRO role, role here. Um, with with that issue, or with say things like holographic planes going into the twin towers, or all this kind of thing, if you um, think that that that's actively taking place, or if it's just the it's human nature that's going on, and the results are the same. Well, um, I don't want to spend too much time on on holographic images at the twin towers i mean there's there's all kinds of fabulous stories uh that have been uh created um the uh but but, but when it comes to the pentagon you say that the, there is a basic um disagreement over the the size of the opening um you know for example uh and this is this has been uh one of the key um, points where there's a lot of a uh, lot of conflict, um, but in fact, if the reason that I've taken the approach that I have is so that I could focus on 
not the things that people say, like you, which you alluded to, is a uh, is problematic. Um, but we actually look at the the the, the evidence. And uh, frankly, I am unaware of anyone who's um, done a, a serious critique of the the work and that I've presented uh, because I've heard none of it. I know Barbara Honiger put uh, put together um, a rebuttal. Uh, but it was focused on just basically saying that we're wrong and that column 14AA on the second floor um, proves that no plane could have hit it because, um, so, um, but that's the only critique that I've heard. Um, and I've responded to that by saying that the column 14AA is in fact hanging from the third floor angled in the direction that a large plane impact would have pushed it. As far as uh, the usefulness of um, the, the Pentagon issue for people who want to keep us all uh, fired up and, and, and going, um, we, we, we do know that um, there was this natural um, controversy that arose, Thierry Maison uh, in his Pentagate, Le Pentagate uh, uh, book, uh, presented that there was there's no way that a plane could have hit. Um, he shows the nose of the plane. The plane coming in would have just you know bashed in the, just the whole size of the uh, the 18 foot opening, uh, and and the uh, plane would have just drop dropped uh, to the ground right there. That's his that's his image. Um, not continued on through nothing. Um, but because he di he did that, um, it I think the the powers that wanted to obscure the the events of 9-11 took that and they nurtured the discussions. Um, and they've been able to convince a lot of people um, to that there's something wrong and um, that the only, that the best proof the best proof that the government that 9/11 is a lie is that there's a faked plane crash at the Pentagon, and and only the U.S. government could have faked a plane crash there. Um, and there's, I think there's a there's a sympathetic part of the the movement that would go to that, but you have to remember that all of the all of the leaders who have addressed the Pentagon um, uh, have have in the past um, have promoted, have, have said basically there's, there's anything but a, a large plane impact. Um, that's the only thing they can agree, but they don't have, but they all have con conflicting um, the, the assertions for what actually happened. I think that there's been a lot of nurturing of the, this by the the powers that don't want 9/11 to be uh, fully understood, um, and they've convinced a lot of really good people that that it was anything but a large plane impact. Um, and I'm hoping that through the presentation of the the evidence uh, that we could get around um, that we can um, move on beyond that because there are many more important things that need to be um, addressed than the Pentagon. I, I've been rightfully criticized for 
uh, spending a lot of time on the Pentagon and not doing anything else. But to me, it's an important thing to get the, get the story straight. Um, at this point in time, it may be that we are just trying to set the record straight for the history. Um, um, raise the issues of how important something like counter uh, Intel Pro could be uh, in creating and fomenting uh, dissent amongst uh, different uh, competing uh, uh, factions who are trying to come up with uh, uh, um, an examination of, of evidence. Now we're here, we're dealing with 9-11 and the Pentagon, um, but there's a lot of other instances where uh, there's been a lot of nefarious stuff going on that uh, uh, counter Intel Pro would be very interested in trying to, to squash, stop, or redirect, you know. For example, um, a lot of, um, uh, uh, it appears that a lot of the weapons that have gone into Syria uh, have been transported through either um, uh, through U.S. channels or U.S. channels through Saudi Arabia, but they've gotten to people that um, most Americans don't think that we support. Um, um, but if you try to dig into into all that stuff, um, you're going to and try to expose it. You're more, you're going to run into counter stories that say, "Oh no, we didn't do anything wrong. It's your facts are all wrong." And and they'll they'll come up with a story that isn't going to be nearly as easy to to resolve as the the, the Pentagon. The Pentagon's really cut and dried. If you stop and look, you'll see large plane impact. I can't tell you. How did the plane get there? Um, I can't tell you a lot of things about it, I, but I can tell you that it was a large plane impact. It's, it's physical. And one of the things I keep telling people is if you can't get the physical stuff right, how am I supposed to believe uh, you when you tell me some fantastical story about motives of, of people? Mm. Um, you know, um, you, 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 you can't tell that the opening in the Pentagon's a 90 feet of continuous opening. Uh, how can you tell me that all this other stuff uh, happens? So I, I don't know if I've given you a, um, the, the a consistent or answered your question, but it's uh, I, I gave you a start, anyways. Yeah, no, thank you. Adam, anything else? Yeah, actually, Wayne, since your since you constructed your presentation for the nine eleven consensus panel. It seems that you have been under a constant barrage of uh, innuendos and insults uh, from people who are supposed to be in the same community as you, but I don't consider them uh, actual truthers. That's just going from my opinion. Has this in any way, shape, or form uh, given you pause to continue forward in this regard in your search for the uh, facts and truth regarding 9-11? Has this hindered you in any way? Or has it given you the extra motivation to go forward? Well, um, you know, that's a, that's a great question. First, I want to clarify that I didn't do this for the consensus panel. Um, uh, just a short little background as to why that even came up. The, Craig McKee, formed a group, uh, formed a, um, a petition of sorts saying that we, um, an affinity group, I guess is probably a better word for it. It says anything but a large plane impact, uh, no 757 hit the Pentagon. And he solicited 
people to sign up and he even got David Ray Griffin for a while to, to be, have his name in the, in, in, in the ring. David Ray Griffin is the intellectual godfather of the no plane at the Pentagon uh, folks. He doesn't talk about it anymore. Um, he's, he's abandoned talking about the Pentagon, uh, I think because he's got nothing useful to say about um, the Pentagon anymore. He's, 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 but he's left a big mess for everyone else to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so I've lost my train of thought here. <laughs> um, so I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, even what the topic was. What was oh, no. your question again? My, my question was, in, in, since you came out with your presentation. Oh, right. The consensus panel, right. So, um, so because of this, um, the David or Griffin had to remove, be, because it was pointed out that you can't do this. Uh, apparently, that's what happened. Uh, him and Elizabeth Woodworth came out with a, a um, joint statement of, from the consensus panel saying that you need to come um, use a scientific method to resolve that. And until we reach that point, we're going to continue to disagree. And so I put together the presentation in, in um, the spirit of that and to put forth all the evidence in a scientific basis so that people could respond to it. And all I've gotten, uh, I've, I've not gotten any serious criticisms. Uh, all I've been uh, all I've gotten is called names, right? um, and you've highlighted some of the some of the some of the issues that have uh, happened. So what we have is, um, uh, as far as I can tell, what we're what we're doing is trying to very slowly move the 9/11 Truth Movement to adopt uh, or to accept this evidence, which is going to be a real, it's just really tough because people don't like being told that they're wrong. Um, and I've, as far as I'm concerned, most of the Pentagon work has been done about the damage. There are other aspects of, of it, such as um, how were the, how was the plane allowed to, to come into the airspace? It seems that there are some really curious questions about that, that I'd like to, to understand a bit more um, references to an E4B that was uh, within 10 miles of it. Uh, um, basically planes being set in the opposite direction. It seems like everything was orchestrated somehow to make it so that the people couldn't respond in the ways that they could or should. Um, but getting to your, um, so I think that's kind of the, the more fruitful uh, areas of uh, rigorous research that, that could or should be done. Uh, but as far as myself, uh, where do I see my next moves on 9-11 uh, or my next interest levels? The, the one thing that uh, I've been working on is the mechanism of destruction of the Twin Towers. Um, uh, this is uh, one of the places that architects and engineers has kind of abandoned the, 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 the playing ground, so to speak, uh, is in how exactly were the buildings, Twin Towers destroyed. The, the, they've got the Halsey report now that describes uh, building seven. That's pretty well known. Um, I think that work is uh, very convincing, but the twin towers uh, destruction is, is still a mystery. Uh, we don't know how it was done, uh, but um, 
and I'll just simply say that my, my piece, my next, when I kind of move on from the Pentagon, I'll be looking at the finishing the paper I started that talks about the destruction of the Twin Towers, which is um, kind of three zones. One's the top block that in the South Tower, you can see it rotate. North, one, North Tower has a similar effect. There's the demolition zone where the initiation begins. That's um, zone two. Zone three is from there all the way down to the lobby. And that's where um, I've been looking at that, and I uh, I have a good idea how the buildings were actually destroyed. Um, people claim that nanothermite um, couldn't have been used uh, as an explosive, and I think I tend to agree. It was probably not used as an explosive. Um, Herrett um, and Jones also refer to it as uh, as a propellant, and I believe what happened is the building was propelled apart, and the weak point were the uh, uh, connections of the floor trusses to the uh, the core columns, uh, just a couple of bolts. And that's uh, um, um, where the weakness of the building was and that's why the building was exploded outwards in all directions, because uh, that's where it would have failed um, with if, with the building being propelled um, apart using this, uh, this uh, uh, enhanced rocket fuel. Um, so I think I've gone far off the, the topic of the, the Pentagon, but um, when it comes to the 9-11 stuff, um, I still think it's really important to uh, present the, the best evidence. Um, I, um, I, uh, I want to be able to uh, fill in as many blanks as I can related to the mechanics of it. That's, my, that's probably my, my expertise. Um, and I do, I guess I have to, in, in talking about and answering your questions, give you a final answer as to why I do this. Um, um, when I watched Bill Veal in the courtroom um, double over when asked a simple question by the judges, um, it's clear he didn't have any answers. Uh, and my goal in putting forward this presentation is to ensure that we don't have another April Gallup-like disaster in the 9-11 truth community in which someone puts together a concocted story that has nothing but speculation and innuendo um, and they get thrown out because of it. Um, I Hopefully I've raised the, um, the evidence level of the Pentagon to uh, such a high level now that um, it'll be impossible for, to, for someone to present such a case, bring it forward, uh, even though um, at the latest uh, conference uh, in, in Zurich, Barbara Honegger uh, alluded to just such a disaster scenario, in my opinion. Um, uh, but I think by raising the bar high enough, um, answering a lot of the questions, um, that can prevent that from happening. And, and my, my my focus will probably shift to the to the twin towers because that's uh, the next most interesting thing to try to resolve, and that would then get rid of some of the the other weird hypotheses that are out there because it's a void. It's a and, and when you have a void, um, there's there's room for all sorts of fantasy stories. So, I, I have one last question, if I may, Mr. Costi. Um, and this is a quote, and we, we, it was regarding about uh, being corrected. It's, it's a theme that seems to be popping up uh, in this uh, issue here. 
And there's a quote by Alexander Pope, who's a 18th century uh, uh, poet. And he says, quote, no one should be ashamed to admit he is wrong, which is but saying, in other words, that he is wiser today than he was yesterday, end quote. Where do you see the field of research in regards to 9-11 in general in the Pentagon issue, the Shankville issue, the World Trade Center issue, and also reaching far into the geopolitical issue, uh, notwithstanding the physics issue. I'm more of a, of a pessimist, but don't go by me. That's my anomaly. But um, in regards to you, um, where do you see the truth movement in regards to overcoming their uh, hiccups, if you will, of admitting what they've learned from conspiracy theorists like a Honiger or a CIT or Alex Jones and et cetera. Do you see that these people are going to, in time, slowly go into the shadows because they don't have the evidence to hold up to their scrutinous um, and erroneous positions? Or do you see the truth movement itself uh, delving deeper into conspiracy? Well, you know, somehow you're alluding to the fact that there's a uniform thing called the truth movement. There is kind of a, there's a bunch of um, uh, independent uh, actors, so to speak, um, who are presenting their views. Many of them are uh, driven by um, uh, their, their, um, their longstanding positions um, and their inability or unwillingness to, to make changes. Uh, my hope is that the, they will um, eventually drop off into the, um, into the realm of either quieted down so they don't say anything anymore. I mean, that's where David Ray Griffin is on the Pentagon. Um, and actually, uh, and, and, and he doesn't talk about it anymore. Hasn't done talked about it for very, for a long time. Um, but people still refer to his older works. Um, he hasn't hasn't uh, retracted anything. But I think the the goal is to try to try to um, get people to who have been saying wrong things to just make the heat so high that. Um, they lose credibility. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that theory work yet, but uh, that is uh, what I'm expecting um, will ultimately um, ultimately happen. And I think the the lawyers committee is, is the legal ass, the legal side is probably the the place where the next steps of the 9/11 truth movement are going to be um, happening. The lawyers committee. And the um, and the JASTA related suits for um, uh, against the Saudi Arabia. Um, the key thing about the lawsuits against Saudi Arabia, in my opinion, is that it that if it turns up anything, it's going to turn up uh, complicity of because uh, um, of the U.S. elements of the U.S. government and the elements of Saudi Arabia. Uh, monarchy have been working hand in hand for uh, for many decades. Um, uh, so I think that th that lawsuit is a very good place for um, for um, the, the future of 9/11 uh, 
research. You'll, if you get to the roots of discovery, you'll, you'll probably find a lot of threads in there. Um, chances of uh, those proceeding um, um, unimpeded is pretty, um, I think pretty low, but I think it's a, it's a necessary next step. And I think it's uh, it certainly is worth doing. And the lawyers committee has done some, some, some very good work. Um, I know they uh, have interest in um, doing something at each of the, um, the sites of 9-11 atrocities, um, Shanksville, the Pentagon, as well as the World Trade Center. I just hope that if they um, uh, move on to those other areas that they actually um, stick to the uh, high quality of, uh, of, of work that they've done related to the Twin Towers. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Is that it? Any more questions, Adam, or is that oh, okay? Yo, for, yeah, that was it. Well, I, was gonna, I, was, I actually was going to ask him, um, uh, where can, if people want to get in contact with your work, where do they go? But we're going to link that anyway mm. to the podcast. We'll, link it. we'll get those details and put them in the box below whenever people are listening right. to this on and uh, anything else relevant, pictures and so on. Um, so thank you very much indeed um, for coming on and, and running through that whole, yeah. Um, well, Okay, thank you very much, Richard uh, and Adam. Uh, it's been an enjoyable uh, uh, conversation, and I hope uh, uh, you've learned a few things, and your listeners Certainly. will uh, will uh, appreciate what I've said. And um, contact me if they have uh, questions, and I encourage them to review the videos, uh, which I guess you're going to link to on uh, we David's yeah, we'll link to the, the presentations Sorry. and uh, and so on. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very having. I've compacted a lot of this in over the past couple of weeks because my, my feeling of the Pentagon almost is like there's, I've never felt there was a, a case to answer, if you like, um, with regard, it, it always struck me as a, in all likelihood, it was a, a large plane. So um, for various reasons, just like I didn't ever think the government could fake that many autopsy reports, for example. So I never looked too deeply into that. I've, I've compacted a lot of it into my mind over the past couple of weeks in preparation for this. And it's been like very interesting to sit and listen to you and, and converse on it. And uh, yeah, so, so thank you for that. And uh, yeah, perhaps we can have you back on in the future to talk about the uh, Twin Towers research you're, you're doing. That would be wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.